Father in heaven, by your spirit, through the word, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead us. Let them bring us to your holy hill and to your dwelling. And then we will come to the cross of Christ and to the Son of God, our exceeding joy, and we will praise you, O triune God, our God. Hear us, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me to the book of Micah, Micah chapter 3. If you're using the Pew Bible, I think you'll find that on page 777. It's between Jonah and Nahum towards the end of the Old Testament. Micah chapter 3, and we're going to read the whole chapter together and consider that this morning. Micah chapter 3, beginning our reading at verse 1, and let's pay careful attention for this is God's own word. And I said, Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron? Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time, because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision, and darkness to you without divination, The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced, and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. If you're visiting with us, we've been considering a a series through the book of Micah, and we've come to chapter 3. Um, Chapter 3, in many ways, begins a new section in the book of Micah, um, a section that will talk about uh, the renewal of Jerusalem, the restoration of a purified remnant of the people of God who are restored to Jerusalem. Um, But this this chapter that spans, this section that spans through chapter 5, which in many ways contains some sublime pronouncements of hope for the future, begins with this serious... Uh, prediction of the downfall of Jerusalem. 
Before there can be restoration, before there can be purification and renewal, there is going to be a great destruction of the old order. Uh, The old order that has become so wicked in so many of the ways that we see in this passage. Um, it's It's a popular refrain to hear in our political discourse today that we need to drain the swamp in Washington, D.C., Um, Well, this is God saying he's going to drain the swamp of wickedness in Jerusalem. That he's going to deal with the wickedness that exists there um, and erase it. And so this is is a fundamental pronouncement against all the things that have gone wrong in Jerusalem. It's a pronouncement against the the corrupt courts where God's people should have been able to go in their oppression and find justice find someone who, t- who would take up the cause of the poor and who do not find that in the courts. So God has a word against the corrupt courts. God has a word again against the false prophets who lead his people astray and who sell their prophecy for money. Um, and finally, he has a word against the whole establishment, uh, the whole establishment of Jerusalem, all the institutions, all the heads of those institutions. Um, he has a word against all of them. Um, And so we see God having this profound sense that the old order needs to be swept away and replaced with one that resembles the city of God, that resembles the people of God and the justice of God. Um, And so we see this serious pronouncement that even in the midst of this pronouncement gives us, as God's people, cause for hope. And so as we look at this word that comes in Micah chapter 3, we see words that convict We see words that condemn, and we see words that comfort. And that's how we want to look at this passage together this morning. Words that convict, words that condemn, and words that comfort. Um, There are words that convict. There's a a cycle that this passage goes through. It's almost told in three stanzas or three sections that repeat one another. God brings accusation against an institution. Then God brings a word of condemnation against that institution. And so I thought, you know, there's, there's two ways we might approach that. We might follow the cycle through three times, or we might uh, consider all of the convicting words in one section and then consider all the condemning words in another section, and I think uh, we're going to do it that second way this morning, to think about all the condemnation and all the conviction that God gives uh, against these institutions thought together. So what are the words that convict that we find in this passage. Well, as I said, the first words of conviction are are reserved for Jerusalem's unjust judges. Um, That's who's accused in the first three verses of our section. Uh, The unjust judges um, in Israel who are not doing what they should be doing. Um, God designed Israel as as a nation to have care for God's law. And one of the things that God's law, God's covenant repeats time and time again is that God has a particular concern for those who are disadvantaged, for those who are poor, for the widow, for the sojourner, for the orphan, Uh, that God has a particular care and concern for those who don't have anyone else to care for them. And he instituted in the nation institutions that would care for the poor, Um, that would not be like the nations taking advantage of those who don't have any protection, but would be the protection for people who needed them. 
Um, and, and the nation was to do that for them because God said, I do that for them. I'm concerned for the oppressed. I'm concerned for the poor. I care for the sojourner. And so I want my nation to care for them. Um, he even says, you know, injustice, take the side of the oppressed. Be for them justice. Be the help for them that they can find nowhere else. And we've talked about how Micah has looked around the country and seen, you know, I continue to see people that are being oppressed. The rich land barons are sweeping away what they have, taking by force, taking by trickery, taking away the possession of God's people. And there's supposed to be a remedy for that. There's supposed to be a place you can come and find relief, a court that not only has the authority, but the power to set those wrongs right. That the oppressed person can come and and go before these judges in Jerusalem and say, I've been wronged and I need your help. The only recourse they they had. Um, And and the Lord says, that that was your job. Right? He he says that in the second part of verse 1. Is it not for you to know justice? Isn't that why I put you in this position? But what kind of people are they? Well, it's a, it's a pretty gruesome picture that Micah paints. Instead of the, being the people who know justice, you actually are people who hate good and love evil. Um, you, you despise what's good and you love what's evil. And when people come to you in their oppression and say, help me, what do you do? It's, a, it's kind of a gruesome picture he paints, but you treat them like cannibals. Right? They come and say, I've been stripped of everything. And then what do you do? You eat them. It's a metaphor for oppression, but you notice how Micah piles it on. He piles on this gruesome picture almost to the point where we say, you know, we get it. We just don't, we don't want to hear any more of this. It's so, so troubling, right? You tear the skin from off my people, their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people, flay their skin from off them, and break their bones in pieces, chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. And we also want to say, like, we get it. It's terrible. It's gruesome. But he wants us to understand the, the gruesomeness of their inhumanity, the way they just chew up the oppressed, the very people that they should have been protecting. Um, I think we see Micah giving vent to just how unhappy he is with this injustice that's rampant in the land. And who are they doing this to? God says, you're eating up my people. The people I love, the people I care for. That's the convicting word that's brought against the courts. You have no love for justice. The courts have no love for justice and the prophets have no love for the truth. Um, That's the second convicting word that comes in this passage, comes to the prophets. They have no love for the truth. They lead my people astray, God says. The very, very people who should be calling out this kind of injustice. This is how Micah is showing the whole establishment has failed. Right? You, have, you have injustice, you have people being taken advantage of, and you should have had prophets who, who rose up and said, you know what the law says, stop doing it, because there's a God in heaven who sees and will avenge. This is unjust. This is sin. This is transgression. God will not let it stand. 
right? That was the, the role of the prophet to come as, as covenant prosecutor, as, as God's attorney pressing his case to a people who would not listen. And what, and what do these people do? They don't do that. They lead people into sin. And what's worse, they sell what they have to say. Right? You went to a prophet to inquire of the Lord, uh, to see what, what the Lord had to say. And you find that these, these guys will really be a help to you because if you fill their mouths with food or you fill their pockets with cash, they'll say whatever you need to have said. They're for sale. They'll speak peace to anyone who puts something in their mouth. And they'll say, yeah, everything's fine. You're good. Don't worry about it. This sort of reminds me of King Ahab when he wanted to go fight against Ramoth Gilead and he was there with King Jehoshaphat, who was a good king, and he said, you know, maybe before we do this, we ought to ask the Lord what he, what he wants us to do. And Ahab's like, sure, I've got a million prophets. We can ask any of them what God wants us to do. And they all come and testify, yeah, go do whatever you want to do. You know, the Lord's going to deliver them into your hand. And King Jehoshaphat says, well... Do you have any prophets from the Lord? Not, I'm not interested in the guys that work for you. I'm actually interested in the guys that work for the Lord. Is there someone who will tell us the truth? Where he kind of saw through it, these are guys who are for sale. Ahab put something in their mouth, and so they say, yeah, yeah, peace. Um, and if you don't put something in their mouth, they declare war against you. If you don't have cash to pay, they declare war. This is not the way the Lord wanted things to run to have courts that have no love for justice and prophets who have no love for truth and an establishment that has no love for the Lord. That's what we see in verses 9 through 11. The whole establishment of Jerusalem has no love for the Lord. Uh, they profane the covenant requirements of God in every way. Right, there's a list of all the institutions here, the leaders, the priests, the prophets, everyone. Um, everyone is for sale in Jerusalem. Um, one commentator put it this way, a legal problem, take it to the judge. A religious problem, take it to the priest. A personal problem, take it to the prophet. A satisfactory answer was guaranteed if money passed from hand to outstretched hand. One could get away with anything if one brought enough cash. Right? That's, that's what Jerusalem had come to. That's what the establishment had come to. They profaned the covenant of the Lord for money. They build Jerusalem with blood and iniquity. And then they have the nerve to profess faith. They profane the covenant of the Lord, and then they have the nerve to profess faith in the Lord. Right? You notice that when they have a hint of judgment, when someone looks at this fallen establishment and says, this can't be allowed to stand, do you think God is going to put up with this? These guys have the temerity to quote scripture back at those who criticize. Right? What do they say in response to this? Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster will come upon us. They're really just turning Psalm 46 verse 5 into a question. Because right, Psalm 46 said, God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. And they essentially say, you know, it doesn't matter that we profane the covenant. We, we, God is our God. Surely he's not going to leave us. Isn't God here? Look, the temple's there. He said that's where he makes his name to dwell. 
He's not going to leave us. They lean on the Lord while violating his law. They profess faith in his name while profaning his covenant. The only conclusion we can reach is that there's no love for the Lord in this place. And Micah says, do any of you really think the Lord's going to allow this to stand? Do you think that he's going to let any of that go unchecked or unpunished? No, Micah says he's going to visit that with the perfect justice that the Lord always does. That's what's remarkable about this passage. The words of, that convict, that leads to these words that condemn. All the words that condemn are perfectly suited punishments for the crimes they've committed. Because when God comes with words that condemn the unjust judges in verse 4, what does he say to them? Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. There's a judgment of silence coming on the judges. And what does the Lord say? You know, the, the poor and the oppressed, they came crying out to you for help. Crying out has a very particular usage in the Bible. Crying out means the cry of someone who's in distress to someone who's in a position to offer immediate help. It'd be like if you were drowning in a pool and you saw someone standing there and you cried out to them to help you. Right? It's someone who's right there who can help. It's the way Israel cried out to the Lord in their slavery in Egypt. They were groaning under the burden of their slavery and they cried out to the Lord as the only one who could help them. That's what the poor did when they came to the judges. They came to them crying out for help to the people who were in a position to help them and they refused. And so what's God's judgment on those judges? The day will come when you'll cry out to me for help. The day coming when you will cry out to me and ask me to help you. Because you'll be in distress with no one to rescue you. And you'll call out to me and I will not answer you. And I will turn my face away from you. Right? The, the great blessing of the Old Testament is that God would turn his face towards you. Because when God turns his face towards you, you know that everything's going to be okay. The fact that there's a God in heaven who answers us when we call is the great hope of God's people. To know that for the sake of the covenant, for the sake of the work that Jesus has done, we, we never will be in a position where we call out to God and he won't answer us. But to these wicked judges, God says, you know, you're going to have a day where you're going to call out to me and I won't answer you. I'll turn my face away from you on account of your wickedness. It would be a terrible thing if you were drowning in a pool and you called out to someone who was standing there to help you and they turned their back on you and walked away. And God says, because you did this to the poor and the afflicted, that's what I'll do to you. That's the wickedness that you've brought down on your own head. It's what God had said would happen in Proverbs 21, 12 and 13. The righteous one observes the house of the wicked. He throws the wicked down to ruin. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. That's what God says to these unjust judges. You see how it's a perfect judgment? 
These people who would not help those who called out to them. God says, when you call, I won't help you. That's the judgment for your wickedness. So words that condemn the unjust judges. God also has words that condemn the faithless prophets. The ones who liked to turn a profit by selling God's word. If you could give me, fill my pockets with money, fill my mouth with food, I'll tell you whatever you'd like to hear. And God said, okay. Well, if, if you were happy to be filled by speaking lies, then I'm going to empty you of the truth. It's again a perfect pronouncement of judgment that God makes against the false prophets in verses 6 and 7. They wanted to fill themselves at the expense of others. God is going to empty them of everything that's his. Because part of the problem is these false prophets knew something of God's word um, and had some revelation from God, but God says, you know, I'm going to empty you of that light. All of that spiritual illumination you used to have, all those ways you used to have for finding out my will, I'm going to darken all of that. And you won't hear from me anymore. I'm going to empty you of light, and everybody's going to see that, and it's going to empty you of honor. Right? If you go to a prophet and he can't find out the will of God, or, you're, or, you're, or you find out that he's making up stuff about the will of God, that person was despised in the community. They would call that person unclean for claiming to speak for the Lord when they didn't. And God said, I'm going to shut the lights off on you. You won't have any word from me anymore. And everybody will see that. And you'll be dishonored in the community. I'm going to empty you of light. I'm going to empty you of honor. And you'll be emptied of hope. Left alone in the dark. Um, you tried to fill yourself. I'm going to empty you. That's the judgment on those who would not expose the transgression of God's people. But actually led them astray. God is going to leave them alone and in the dark. And the worst word is reserved for the horrific kingdom that Jerusalem has become. Now, this kingdom has become a kingdom of oppression, a kingdom that's been built, God says, on blood and iniquity. Um, they, they've built up this beautiful city. Jerusalem at this time was growing. It, it was a bigger and better city than it had been in previous generations. And people could look around and say, hasn't God blessed us? Look at how great the city's growing. And God said, yeah, it's, go it's growing great, but you're building it with blood and iniquity. You're building it with all that money you've stolen from the poor and the oppressed, the inheritance that you've removed from them. You're paying bribes to judges who are looking the other way. You might be building up this beautiful city, but it's built in blood and iniquity. And so what, what does God say? What you've built with injustice, I'm going to bulldoze in righteousness. I'm going to sweep it away. Because it doesn't serve the function that I meant this city to serve. Right? If Zion isn't God's holy hill, if Jerusalem isn't his holy city, then what good is it? It's no better than Samaria that suffered the same fate that's talked about here. That's plowed under and reduced to a heap of ruins. Think we have a God who's not concerned with justice? Do you think we have a God who's not concerned with truth? Who wants his people to understand what it means to have God in your midst? 
But that's what these people said. Well, God is in our midst. We'll be fine. And what Micah said is, you know, you're wicked and God is in your midst. That's a problem. Right? Isaiah realized that when he was standing there as a wicked man before a holy God. He didn't say, oh, great, God is in our midst. Right? What did he say? Woe to me. Because he's holy and I'm not. It's a serious business to have God in your midst if you're a wicked person. And God says, you know, I'm going to show you what it means truly to have me in your midst if you're a wicked people. And I'm going to, and I'm going to signify to you that my presence is being removed from you. That was the terrible judgment of losing the temple when the temple was swept away. Because it, it was the place where people looked to and said, God dwells there. And so when the temple was swept away, what did that say to God's people? God doesn't live here anymore. And we know that God never abandons his people fully. God never leaves his people. He was going to come and redeem a remnant. He said, I'll gather you from wherever you're scattered on the earth. But that was a powerful picture of judgment. When God allowed his temple to be destroyed, that's what he was saying to his people. I don't live here anymore. I don't recognize this place. It ceased to be what I wanted it to be. Um, That's a terrible picture of condemnation that we have in in this book. These are hard words. Trust me, I'm looking forward to getting to the sublime, uh, the good words that come in in chapters 4 and 5. Because maybe like you, I'm tiring a little bit of the judgment. Um, We might be tempted to say, I don't want to hear more about this. I'd like, can we get to the good part now? Um, These are hard words, but these are necessary words. Don't we still see where God, people peddle God's truth for money? Where you can get whatever word you want to get if you pay enough for it? Do we see people oppressing justice because they have the means to do it? Uh, do we see the poor taken advantage of? Do we see people oppressed? Um, these dire warnings still need to be heard, don't they? Um, God's people still need to be told, don't lean on God's love if you're not going to obey his law. If you're going to disobey his law with impunity, don't turn around and say, well, surely God loves me. Because those who love him obey his commandments, don't they? These are hard words, but we need to listen to these words. We need to listen to these words in every generation. I thought one commentator captured it beautifully, saying, Micah's words deserve to be taken to heart by each generation of God's people. They challenge every attempt to misuse the service of God for one's own glory and profit. They are a dire warning against a complacency that can take God's love and reject his lordship. They are a passionate plea for consistency between creed and conduct. The Lord is content with nothing less. The Lord cares about these things. God's people need to care about these things. Uh, so where are the words of comfort? You might say, no, I was promised comfort at some point, so can we get there now? Um, well, we're going to get there now. Where, where do we have words of comfort? It's in verse 8. There's a voice that stands against all these other voices. There's a voice that stands against what all that's happening 
in Israel. Um, But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and Israel his sin. Um, There's another voice. There are many people in Israel who don't love justice. There is someone who loves justice. There are many people in Israel who have no love for the truth. There's someone in Israel who loves the truth. There's a lot of people in Israel who show no love for the Lord by what they do. But there's someone in Israel who shows love for the Lord in what he does and what he says. And it's the prophet Micah. There is a voice that is speaking for truth and for justice and for the Lord. Um, And it's a voice that speaks with power. There's a sense in which Micah is not really calling attention to himself. Right? He's not, the purpose of this is not to say, like, shine the light on me. I'm so great. What, What is he really saying? The Lord is so great. There's a God who cares about truth. There's a God who cares about justice. There's a God who cares about covenant fidelity. And he's still speaking, and he still speaks in power. And he raises up messengers who are exactly the messenger needed for that moment. Right? What, what kind of message, messenger do God's people need? One who is not motivated by personal gain, but for a zeal for God's truth and God's cause. Right? Someone who doesn't bring his own message, tailored to what the audience wants to hear, but brings the true and living word of God. Um, who isn't concerned with being popular or turning a prophet, but is actually willing to sacrifice his own honor and wealth and even his life to speak the truth for the Lord. Um, Someone who, as one person put it, is undaunted, though uninvited, unasked, and unwelcome, boldly stepping forward to speak for the Lord. The good news in this passage is there is someone speaking for the Lord. And that's true in every age, no matter how dark it gets. There's someone who's speaking for the Lord. There's someone who's filled with the Spirit of the Lord to speak for the truth in the midst of the iniquity, to declare those things that no one else will declare. Right? You can't find these things from everybody else that Micah has talked about. People who will just stand up and declare to Israel their iniquity and their sin. Um, but he will. Because he's filled with the Spirit of the Lord. And that's the good news, is there's always a voice for God's truth. No matter how dark the age is. There's always a voice speaking. There's always people like Micah. All the Old Testament prophets stand in that, in that rank. Of men who speak the truth uh, for the Lord. Faithful ministers in the New Testament, from the apostles to the ministers they left in the world, also stand in that order, if they're willing to speak for God, no matter what it costs, no matter how it's going to be received, to stand for that truth. Um, I remember the, the, the saying that was said of John Knox, who was the great Scottish reformer. Um, at his graveside, someone once said, Here lies one who neither flattered nor feared any flesh. He didn't flatter people, and he wasn't afraid of people. Well, how do you get to that place? Because right? we hear that and we say, I'd love to be that guy. I'm still kind of afraid of people. 
I'd love to be the kind of person who doesn't flatter or fear any flesh. How do you get to be that way? By being filled with the Spirit of the Lord. So that you see so clearly the power and the glory of His kingdom that everything in this world pales in comparison. I told, you know, I told the story of King Ahab trying to get his own prophets to say, yeah, go ahead and do whatever you want to do. And King Jehoshaphat said, is there a prophet from the Lord who can speak to us? He said, sure, there's one, Micaiah, but he never says anything good about me. He always tells me I can't do things. And so Ahab sends to Micaiah, it's almost a comical scene in the Old Testament, but Mike, Ahab's men go and find him and say, hey, can you just come in for once? Could you just be nice to the king? You just tell him what he wants to hear. And so he comes and the king says, all right, lay it on me. I want to go do this. Am I allowed to do it? And the guy says, yeah, go ahead. You're sure. You'll be fine. He says, come on, that's, that can't be true. He says, yeah, you're right. It's not true. I see Israel scattered like a sheep without a shepherd. You go down there, you'll surely die. And he's able to do that, you know, to stand in front of these two kings and tell them that you're not allowed to do what you want to do. And if you go, it'll be certain death to you to go. And Ahab doesn't like it. He says, lock him up till I come back safely. And the guy basically says, you can lock me up, but if you come back safely, the Lord has not spoken by me. I'll be waiting for you. But you're not coming back. And some people have asked, how could he stand there and do that? How could he stand there before these two kings and tell them what they didn't want to hear? Well, he said, I'd been caught up into the heavenly courtroom and I'd heard God discussing this matter. And I'd heard God's plan for your destruction. And somebody pointed out, you know, if you've been carried up into the king, into the throne room of the king of glory, It means that when you come down to these two meager little kings of the earth, their kingdoms don't look so great in comparison. We serve a great king. And if we look at his kingdom, his power, his glory, what pleases him, it'll make everything else pale in comparison. Why would I be afraid of you if I'm afraid of him? Right? We can all say that together. Why would we be afraid of people if the Lord is on our side? If we speak for him. Because the spirit that filled Micah is the spirit that dwells in all of God's people. It's a spirit of power. That means the strength to do what's necessary. The strength to do what's required. To endure. To stand. It's a spirit of justice. That's concerned not with weighing things the world likes to weigh things. But with impartiality that God judges things. God who is no respecter of persons and who judges all in righteousness. That's the spirit that dwells in us. Maybe most importantly for our day, he's a spirit of might. You might say, what's the difference between power and might? Aren't they the same thing? Power is the raw strength. Might is the courage. Might is the courage or the valor that's needed to contend well, and overcome. You can be strong and not courageous. And the call for Christians in every age is to be strong and courageous. Uh, To be willing to fight the good fight and the certainty that will overcome. Micah's filled with the Spirit of the Lord. We're filled with the Spirit of the Lord. It's the Spirit of Jesus. 
Jesus is often identified as the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, he's even called. Why? Because Jesus is a God of power. And he came once into this world in power to overcome. And he came in justice to put right that which was wrong, to reconcile his people to God. And he came in might. He had the courage to contend well against the world and the devil and overcome. And he's coming again soon in glory, in power, in justice, and in might. And so our continuing job is to say we need to be reconciled to him. Can you just sound that voice in the world that speaks about repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ as the only way to withstand the, the day of judgment that's coming? And the comfort we have is that voice will always sound in this world. No matter how many people try to silence it, that truth will always be proclaimed. And it's a truth that has to be listened to. I'll end with this. Remember that Micah spoke this word. And a hundred years later in Jeremiah 26, Jeremiah's people of his time record the fact that Micah spoke these words and King Hezekiah listened to them. Micah said what was going to happen to Jerusalem, and there was a king who heard it and who repented over his wickedness and returned to the Lord, and the Lord relented over that disaster. We looked at, at Jeremiah 26. A hundred years later, Micah was remembered as the guy who delivered the kingdom because King Hezekiah heard and listened, and the destruction that God had pronounced was put off for another hundred years. Don't tell me there's not power in the word of God to move kings and change the fate of kingdoms. God's arm has not grown short. His power is no less than it's always been. So we'll continue to preach his word. We'll continue to stand for him in the world knowing that that word has power, not because of us, but because of the spirit in whose name we prophesy. So let's continue to speak of repentance towards God, faith in Jesus Christ, and to know that we'll stand in the evil day in his strength. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do know that there is such a danger to misuse the gifts that you've given to us for our own ends and purposes. We pray that you would deliver us from that, that we would only always be motivated by the things that are pleasing in your sight. We pray also that we would have that heart for justice that Micah had, the indignation he had for those who are mistreated, that you would see that in your people as well, that we would never be a people who presume on your love but forget your lordship, that we would submit our lives in service to you and continue to preach that word, that we would be undaunted and bold even when it's unasked for and even unwanted in the world, that we continue to speak for your truth. We thank you for the power of your spirit who gives us hope for the Lord Jesus Christ who came into the world once to deal with sin and is coming again to rescue us and to rescue all who are eagerly waiting for him. May we declare his truth and boldness that we might see uh, this sin-sick world saved and brought into fellowship with him.
Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.